Hello, friends. As you know, I like to provide some bonus content here and there to let you know other things that I'm producing. And this episode is one like I've done before that highlights some content that I'm featuring in the Partners Only podcast called Digging Deeper. This is an additional podcast completely separate from the Morning Mindset that partners who support us on a monthly basis for as little as $5 receive in their podcast players week after week. It is a weekly show. Sometimes it's a teaching like you would hear here. Other times it's my thoughts about other things that are going on in the world or in my own life that I think you can learn from. And I just ask you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner of Digging Deeper. The kind of content you're going to hear today is a sample of what you would receive weekly if you become a monthly partner. Thanks so much for listening to the Morning Mindset. Thanks for passing it along to others. I hope you enjoy this episode about human sexuality, God's view. Happy New Year, my friends. It is 2024. Can you believe it? Here we are. And here I am back after the holiday break. It was a great time with our family. I hope you had a great time as well. I know that for many, the holidays can be difficult. And so I am praying for you as listeners, as supporters of the Morning Mindset, that God will be doing His work in you, His great work, His redeeming work, His encouraging work in every stage of your life. Well, I thought I would kick off the new year with a series of messages that I gave way back in 2008. And this first message that you're going to hear today is the introductory message to the series. I'll just let the message itself introduce the series. But what I want you to pay attention to is that the statistics and the dates and the cultural happenings that were going on then are not only still going on now, but they're even worse. And an even more dramatic difference is occurring before our very eyes. I think you'll know what I mean as you listen. So friends, welcome back to Digging Deeper. I'm thankful that you're here. I hope this message is a blessing to you and that you look forward to this series. In August 24 of 1709, in Epworth, England, in the dark of the evening, there was a house fire. The house was owned by a man named Samuel and his wife, Susanna, and their seven children. And the house was just a flame. It was an inferno. Susanna, like the good mother she was, was out counting her little chicks. You know, how many, how many are here? There were only six that were there. The seventh one was missing. And so she's frantically looking around. Maybe he's in the crowd because by this time a crowd had gathered with buckets and they're trying to put out the flames. And she's telling Samuel, one of the kids is missing. One of the kids is missing. And he's, he's asking, well, who, who is it? Who's missing? She says, John. Well, John's missing. And so they're frantically running around and someone called to their attention the upper story window and there was this little face looking out the window. And two or three of the men ran to the house and made a human ladder. They got on each other's shoulders and are standing. Imagine this, right next to this blazing inferno. It got so hot, the, the accounts say their clothes began to smoke and start to burn off of them. And they're lifting each other up to get John out of the window and to bring him down. And they did. They got him down and they plucked him right out of that fire. And it was it was a matter of minutes before the whole structure collapsed. And John was saved. The John that I'm speaking of was John Wesley. I don't know if you know the name. John Wesley was one of the men who 
was a preacher during the time of the Great Awakening. And he said later, I was plucked out of the fire like a brand. God just took me and then he used me later to brand his mark upon a movement. And he felt very, very humbled that his life was saved. And the reason I tell you that story is because I believe that our culture is like that house. Our culture is a flame with the chaos of ambiguity and confusion that centers around the issue of sexuality. Now, right here, I need to make a little disclaimer. This is going to be a PG-13 rated series. I have a video here I'm going to play for you just in this example. This video was taken from the Internet, so the quality is kind of bad. So just watch carefully. Most of it's audio, so if the quality of the video itself is bad, you'll be able to understand what's being said. Come back and talk about it after this is over. You make a great many people very uneasy. Here is a man with facial hair, with a mustache, pregnant. It is a disturbing picture, Thomas. I think that people are not used to seeing the image of a pregnant man. You know, Thomas, that there are people who say that just because you've taken testosterone, cut your hair short, had your breasts removed, that doesn't make you a man. You have a woman's reproductive organs. Therefore, they say you are a woman. Aren't you trying to have it both ways? Well, first of all, what would be wrong with that? I'm not trying to change people's minds. I'm just asking them to open them. In case you didn't grab exactly what's happened here, this person was born a woman, was born female, and somewhere along the line had a sex change operation but decided to keep her female organs and now is married to a woman and is pregnant. That's an example of the confusion that's in our culture. Because as I was searching for that video, I had seen bits of it before. As I was searching for that, you come upon these these news groups where you'll find a video and people make comments about the video and people are saying, way to go, Thomas, proud of you. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Do you not even recognize that there's choices that have been made here? People who have chosen to take God's design and twist it, now that we have the technology, into what they want it to be. For whatever reason, I can't judge this person's motive, but I know that it's not balanced with what Scripture says men and women are to be. And it brings such confusion into our culture. Where do we go for clarity? Where do we go to figure out what's the truth in situations like this? God's Word is where we go. The Bible is our compass to show us what true north is, to show us what's right in terms of male and female sexuality. Now, as we venture forward in this series, the scriptures, I'm going to just tell you right now, are going to be our only source of guidance. I'm not going to look at psychological studies. I'm not going to look at surveys. We're going to look at the scriptures, and we're going to let the scriptures speak very clearly the way that they speak. We're not going to tear it apart and try and find a reason it doesn't mean what it says. We're going to let it say what it says. And here's some of the things I think we're going to find in its pages. The scripture is not ambiguous when it comes to male and female issues and the value of each. We're going to find confidence in what is true and what's right. It's going to give us a way out of the burning building of confusion. It's going to show us what God's plan is. It's going to enable us to become part of the human ladder to pull other people out of the burning building. It's going to enable us to raise our own children with right concepts of who they are as male and female. To raise little boys like little boys and little girls like little girls. Because there are differences. And it's important that we know what they are. But I think even more importantly than those things, this series is going to help us as we examine the scriptures to find liberty to be who God intends each of us to be. And I don't say that flippantly. I think we're going to find freedom as we go through this. We're going to be able to push aside all the wrong stereotypes we've been taught. We're going to be able to push aside all the bad teaching 
that's come our way. And we're going to be able to balance some things out scripturally and understand what God has to say about the good and marvelous creation that humanity is as man and as woman. And does that sound like good news? Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, I believe this series is going to help you because it's helped me tremendously. This series is probably the most well-studied series I have ever prepared because I think it's that important of an issue. This is a massive thing in our culture. We're talking about a man having a baby right now. Imagine the day technology comes along that they can actually plant a placenta into a man and enable him to carry a baby to term. You don't think it'll happen? I can guarantee you they'll find a way eventually. And it's just going to cause our concept of male and female to just be ripped apart. I think there's four particular areas where this confusion is rising. I think, first of all, there's confusion about sexuality, which impacts things like motherhood, fatherhood, family, home. I think, secondly, there's a confusion about the scriptural teaching about men and women and the differences in the way that we're supposed to work together. Thirdly, I think there's confusion in terms of doctrinal errors that are rising out of this debate. There's some amazing, stunning doctrinal beliefs that are coming out of this whole issue that I just shake my head and say, I can't believe people are willing to go to that extreme. And then finally, I think that there's confusion in the sense of we as a church, when we don't know clearly what God intended for male and female, we have a confusing witness to the world around us. People tell us a story like this, and we just kind of sit there and go, hmm, with no opinion, no sense of what God says about the issue. We just kind of stand back and go, wow, that's weird. And we have nothing to say. That's a confusing witness because people expect those of us who are part of the body of Christ to at least have an opinion about right and wrong in issues like this. Now, let's go and we're going to walk through those four reasons real quickly, and I'm going to flesh them out. Number one, the confusion about sexuality. I think there's some confusion in regard to what the term sexuality even means in our culture. People talking about sexual orientation, with people talking about homosexuality, heterosexuality, transgendered, sex change, things like we've seen today. There's just huge confusion when you get into those issues. People start talking about, well, it's the way God made me. It's in my genes. Well, it's a preference. And you get this arguing going back and forth. And unless we have a solid anchor that we can throw down and stabilize ourselves, which is in the word of God, we're just going to be tossed around in all of that dialogue with everyone else. I think there's confusion about sexuality in regard to the value of humanity as male and female. We've heard all the jokes. We've probably even told them about there was a woman walking along one day and we tell this woman joke or there was a man doing such. And we have these little jibes that go at each other again and again and again in our culture, demeaning comments, or maybe we say them in a joking form, but there's some truth underneath that's meant as a little dagger to twist. And we talk about things like men who are dominant abusers or women who are domineering and really wear the pants in the family. And there's a confusion there. We talk about passive men or doormat women. All these terms that have come up in our culture that are all a result of this confusion. The battle of the sexes, each one thinking they're superior to the other. And these arguments that go back and forth. Terms like chauvinism, feminism. We have to understand these terms mean nothing if we're not grounded in what God's word says. We have to stop and clear away the confusion and understand the value of humanity as male and female. And we're going to do that in this series. I think there's confusion about sexuality and how the sexes are meant to relate to each other. 
For instance, are we supposed to have complementary relationships? Are men and women supposed to get along and work together and actually have a beneficial outcome from our relationships? Or is it supposed to be hierarchical where one of the two is dominant over the other and oppressive and their way goes and it's always that way? What about leadership in the family? Is there supposed to be a leader in the family or not? What about complete and equal opportunities? Are women supposed to have the opportunities that men have in every realm across the board? Doesn't matter where it is, what it is. Those are the questions that are being thrown around in our culture. And different people come up with different answers. And we need to go to scripture to find what those answers are. I think there's confusion regarding sexuality in regard to how marriage is to be understood biblically. Does each person in a marriage relationship, male or female, have unique responsibilities because they are male or female? Or should there be shared responsibilities that they both do together as male and female? Or is marriage just for the sake of reproduction? Is that the only reason God created marriage? You know, some people teach that. We're going to see if scripture holds that up. Did God have a purpose in marriage when he created it? Now, I understand some of you who might be single may be thinking, well, he's going to talk about marriage all the time. Well, no, not only. This will apply to everyone. I think there's confusion in terms of sexuality regarding our understanding of the value and importance of things like fatherhood and motherhood, leadership, homemaking. We're confused about those things. Biblically, there are valuable things in being a mother that are different from being a father and vice versa. And you can't really do without one or the other. Now, I understand there's single parents, and that's a dynamic of our sinful world that's happened, and we have to deal with that. But that wasn't God's intention in the beginning. So we're going to talk about that as we go through the series. One of the biggest casualties of this confusion regarding sexuality, I think, is the family. The family unit has undergone some major changes in the last 50 to 60 years. Let me give you some statistics here. Today, the divorce rate is as high as 50%. 50% of the people who say, I do, eventually say, I don't. The average marriage only lasts 7.8 years. 5.5 million people are living together outside marriage. Maybe that communicates a skepticism about marriage itself. People are just saying, you know, I'm not sure I want to go there. I'm seeing so much divorce. This one blew me away. Only 63% of children in the U.S. grow up with both parents in the home. Only 63%. So that means 37% are in single parent families. 11.9 million single parents in the United States. Fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 90% of homeless runaway children, 85% of children with behavior problems, 71% of high school dropouts, 85% of youths in prison, and well over 50% of teen mothers. All of those negative statistics can be traced back to no dad in the home. And then we have issues like domestic violence, child abuse, all those things that are happening in the family because I think primarily of this confusion about sexuality. Now let's talk about the second area of confusion, and that's confusion about the scriptural teaching on manhood and womanhood. From the time of Jesus Christ walking on the earth, for 1,900 years after that, there was very little debate about what the Bible taught regarding manhood and womanhood. But then about 35 years ago, can anyone tell me what happened in our culture 35 years ago that relates to this issue? The sexual revolution and feminism took off. Now, I'm not going to demonize feminism because there were many abuses that were happening to women at the time. And the feminist movement, like most movements, was a reaction to that. 
It was an attempt to make right some of the wrongs that were happening. And there were many good things that happened through the feminist movement. But like most movements, extremes happen in trying to respond to what they considered an extreme on the other side. And much happened to our great harm. In the last 35 years, new interpretations of biblical passages relating to male and female have arisen. This debate about what the Bible really means about manhood and womanhood is producing what I consider to be interpretational backflips in order to get the desired meaning out of the text. Now, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek originally, all right? And we often will say the Greek word means such and such. And it's important to do that sometimes. But most of the translations we have are fairly accurate. But sometimes these backflips take the form of Greek words being assigned meanings that they have never had ever in the history of interpretive and linguistic work. People will take a word and they'll say, well, it really means this. And they'll reinterpret the whole context of the passage in light of that word. But if you do the work and you go back and you research that word throughout the history of Greek language, it's never meant. Sometimes the rules of grammar and sentence structure are being violated intentionally and repeatedly to get a meaning that's wanted. And sometimes the plain words of the biblical text are being revised for more palatable ones. One of the last things I think that's happening with this confusion about the scriptural teaching on manhood and womanhood is that the accessibility of the meaning of scripture is being withdrawn from ordinary people. What I mean by that is this. Part of this debate, when you get to the passages on male and female, gets so technical. It gets into the Greek words and the grammar and all this stuff that very few of us can read and comprehend. The average person just steps back and goes, oh, I don't know how to tell if the gender of the verb is this, and I don't know how to tell if it's this tense or this case, and so I'm just going to throw my hands up and say, I can't ever understand this. And that's tragic to me, because when people make translations of the Bible, by and large, they take years and years and years of work in a committee, and they translate it fairly accurately. So the versions that we have in English are pretty close to what the Greek said. And so I think that this whole debate is causing Scripture to be pulled out of the grasp of common people. Now, another area of confusion that I mentioned is doctrinal errors that are arising from this debate. I don't know if any of you have heard about the gender-neutral Bible versions. Have you heard of those? There's versions that are taking out all references to God as male. Okay, Now, I'm not saying God's a male. God's a spirit. He's not male or female. But God himself chooses words like father to refer to himself. Those words in some ears are offensive, so father's being taken out, being substituted with parent. He is being changed to our parent. They're just trying to take out every reference to God as a male image. This, to me, seems a little arrogant because God himself chose those words. He's communicating something important when he uses those words. If I have someone speaking to one of my kids and says, I need to speak to your father, they don't mean mother. And they don't mean just a parent, they mean your father. There's a specific person they're addressing. There's a specific meaning they have in that. When we say God is our father, that brings certain images to mind that are different than if we said God is our mother. Because mother and father are very different. Neither one's superior to the other, neither one's more important, but they're different. And if God chose the word father, there's a reason for that. And it's very arrogant of us to take things like that and to twist it to mean what we want it to mean so it doesn't offend people. Modern culture seems to think that everything we come up with is better than what was in the past. Have you noticed that? And as I think about this back through church history, I think of people like 
the 12 apostles who were inspired of God himself to write down what they wrote. I think of people like Augustine and Luther, Calvin and Jonathan Edwards and John Owen. These are names that may mean nothing to you, but these are some of the most intelligent people ever to walk the planet. I mean, let me give you an example. John Calvin did not have a word processor. He didn't have a typewriter. In fact, he had a quill pen. And the man in his adult lifetime wrote 55 volumes of theology. This isn't just, you know, fiction or short stories. This is theology. This is deep, weighty, heady, thoughtful stuff. And he wrote 55 volumes. That's a smart man. For us in our age to look back on what he held and what others held as true from God's word, what God's word really said, and to say, nah, it doesn't really mean that. Man, what arrogance there is in that. Now, I'm not saying Calvin and Luther and all those guys were infallible. Of course they weren't. They made mistakes on some things. I'm not holding these people up as infallible sources, but I am saying they're accurate in most of what they say. We should have a healthy respect for that. We shouldn't so flippantly just toss it aside and and come up with a new opinion. Another confusing doctrinal error that's rising from this debate. On one side of the issue of male-female roles, the camp that's on one side will say, there's no authority structure within marriage. There should not be a leader. Both should be leaders together. Well, the other side often will appeal to the Trinity and say, look at the Trinity. Even in the Trinity, there's the father who sends the son, and the son says, I always obey what my father says. And then the spirit who does the will of the son in the world, and they'll appeal to the Trinity, and they'll say there is a leadership structure with perfect equality. All three members of the Trinity are equal in value, equal in importance. But in marriage, you know, the argument often is, well, if one's higher authority than the other, then they're not equal. And they say, no, look at the Trinity. They're perfect equality. Yet there's this authority structure. You know, my children and I are equal in value. We're equal in importance. We're equal in humanity. But we're not equal in authority. There's a difference. The reason I'm telling you that is because there have become doctrines lately that are assaults on the Trinity that I believe are just totally unbiblical, saying there is no authority structure in the Trinity. Never has been, never was, never will be. And what this basically is telling us is that any member of the Trinity could have come to earth and died for the sins of mankind. But if you read Scripture carefully, if you read it with an eye for the detail, you see that Jesus was appointed by the Father in eternity past to come and die on the cross. He's been the Son forever. I mean, just the words that are used, Father, Son. There's an authority there. In an effort to get around what they don't like about marriage, they are twisting the Trinity into something that it's really not. And that's very dangerous. And then, obviously, there's leadership controversies and crisis in the church that are bringing disunity. I mean, you get people in the same church having different opinions on this. It can cause problems. But the last thing, which maybe is the most important, is that there's confusion in terms of our witness to the world as a church when we don't have this thing figured out. The first thing I would highlight in view of that is that all the symbolism of marriage is gone if we don't have a right understanding of this. The marriage relationship has meant to demonstrate the relationship between Christ and his church. And if we don't live that out, if we don't believe it, if we don't model our marriages after that, the world's not going to see anything about Christ in the church in the way that we live our lives as husband and wife. The church's submission to Christ is being minimized. Christ's leadership of the church is being marginalized. The concept of obedience to God is becoming passe. It's like, you know, we don't really need that stuff. What I think is more important is that God's glory as creator is obscured. 
God's glory as creator is not seen when we don't understand male-female roles accurately because people don't see male and female relationships lived out like God intended. They don't see the goodness in men and the goodness in women and that God created it that way. They just hear bickering back and forth. Either the husband's way too dominant like he shouldn't be or or it's way too egalitarian where there's just complete equality in every area and nobody has a role that's different from anybody else. And it's not showing the goodness of what God created when he did male and female. And God's not getting the glory he should. Some of the things that show this is that Christian singles are statistically are just as confused and promiscuous as non-Christian singles. Christian marriages and families are faring no better than non-Christian marriages and families. There's no statistical difference. And I think it has in large part to do with this confusion about male and female and the value of each as God created it. Wrapping up those four reasons why I think this series is important. I want to give you some guiding principles for how we're going to go about this series. First of all, I mentioned this before. Scripture is going to be the authority. We're going to open this book. We're going to read passages. I believe that the meaning of Scripture is plain to the average everyday reader. You can read it. You can understand it. There's some confusing passages. I'll give you that. There are some confusing passages, and we'll walk through them carefully. But I believe that its intention is good. The things God writes about male, female is for our good. It's to be a blessing to us, not a curse, not a limitation, not an error that we're supposed to avoid. And we'll walk through that beginning next week. Here's a caution I want to give you as you listen. And I've had to give myself this caution repeatedly through this study. Be aware of your own biases. Do you know what I mean by that? Be aware of the things that are in you that make you push away certain positions in this debate. I want to ask you, if you can, to submit all of those things to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, you show me from your text. You show me from the Scripture what's true. Let me give you some examples of where biases could come from. Biases come from bad experiences. Perhaps you were raised in a home where you had an abusive father or a neglectful father or a dad who abandoned you. You may not be real keen on calling God father. You may not have a good image of what a male-female relationship in a marriage should look like because yours was so horrendous. And that can create a bias in you where you don't want to hear things a certain way because it pushes your buttons. It pushes the painful places in your life. That's a bias. You need to be aware of those. Set those under the Holy Spirit's guidance. There's biases from cultural expectations or beliefs. Feminism taught women should have every opportunity men have. Women should have this, this, this that men have, okay? I'm not going to tip my hand on that yet because I think there's some debatable things on both sides that we'll talk about. But being heavily influenced by feminist background can bias you on one side of the scale. You need to be aware of that. But equally so, if you came from the other side of the spectrum, you can be equally biased in the other way. If you came from a home where dad's only words he ever said was, woman, get me my chips, You may think that's right. You may look at it and say, what's wrong with that? Well, that's a bias. You need to set that aside. And you need to say, God, you show me what's right. You show me. There can be biases based on how you interpret words, how you listen, how you hear what's said. And my encouragement to you in that regard is listen, don't react. If you hear me say something that your bias starts to churn up inside of you and goes, oh, I don't know about that. I don't like, just set that to the side. Keep it there. It's fine to keep it there, but set it aside and view it in light of everything else you hear. Don't take one thing that said and go, oh, he hates women, blah, 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 or whatever you think. 
set it aside and view it in light of everything else that's said, everything else that's read, and then put it all together. So I'm asking you to hear me out. Judge everything. Don't just take a few things and judge those. Now, here's something else that's going to be unique to this series. If there's something I say in a sermon that's not clear to you, or you're confused about, or you don't like, write it down. And at the end of this series, we're going to have a Q&A time. And you're going to be able to ask those questions. I don't know if we'll do it where you just stand up and read your question, or if you hand them all in and I compile them and we go about it that way. But I, I promise you this, I won't avoid hard questions, because hard questions need to be asked. I won't avoid questions of uh, scriptural interpretive things. I won't avoid those. I won't avoid issues of abuse or issues of, of wrong application of what we learn. I won't avoid it. We need to deal with those things. Let me outline the series for you where we're going. It's going to be nine sermons and then the Q&A afterward. First sermons this morning, why a series about this? Next, we're going to talk about the good creation of male and female. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. We're going to see how God created things to be and how male and female are both good. That might be news to some of us. There's wonderful things about women and wonderful things about men. And we're going to walk into that next week. Next, we're going to stay in Genesis and we're going to talk about God's intention for male and female. The supposition, which I think is very fair, is that God created us male and female for a purpose. He didn't just create some androgynous being. That wasn't male or female. He created us with differences for a reason. We're going to talk about that. Then the fourth sermon, I'm entitling it, Sin Wrecks a Good Thing. We're going to look at what impact sin had on male-female relationships, and we're even going to follow that down through history and see how it has worked itself out. The fifth sermon is going to be about Jesus restoring the original. Jesus came to redeem. Isn't that right? We call him our redeemer. That's about more than just our sins. He's redeeming all of creation, and that includes male-female relationships. Jesus came to bring back what the Lord God created in the first place. Then number six, I'm calling it complementarity in the Christian marriage. You know what complementarity means? It's not like a compliment. That's with an I in the middle of the word, compliment. It means, oh, that's a nice dress you have on, Carol. That's a compliment, right? Complement with an E in the middle means two things that go together harmoniously and work well together. Next. The man, Christ-like servant leader. Then the woman, intelligent, willing helper. You hear that word helper? Maybe it sounds negative to you. It's not a negative term at all. And then the last sermon is going to be called Men and Women in the Ministry of the Church. Did you know it really goes to that level at some points? We have all these debates about, well, can women be elders? Can women be pastors? If they can't, then you don't think women are equal. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the logic of it and also the scriptural passages. And then that night on July 20th in the evening, we're going to have a dessert and Q&A. So if you don't want the Q&A, come for the dessert. Would you pray with me? Lord, I believe this series is crucial. And I don't do this for any other reason except to clarify the confusion that's going on in our world. There's some very ugly things happening around us, centered around male versus female or female versus male. And there are roots to it that go really deep in history. And I don't know if we'll get into all of that, but Lord, I know that you understand it all. And when I go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and I look at how you created man and woman, oh, my heart just yearns to see that pattern happening in our churches. Because Lord, we shouldn't be at each other's throats as men and women. We should not be antagonistic or have animosity toward each other. We should be so thrilled with what you've created and the value of each side of the equation. 
Lord, I'm asking you just to guide us by your spirit in a powerful and important way. Because, Lord, these are things that can transform our culture if we get it right. If we are living rightly in these areas, the contrast between us and the rest of the world will be so huge. Harmony in our homes compared to the disharmony in others will be so mighty that people will just be yearning to find out what it is we know. God, I pray that you'll teach us. Pray that you will guide us, Lord. Guide my words. Make us all good listeners. Make us all students of your spirit, students of your word. You would teach us what's true and what's right. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.